The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Strap on your parachute, it's time for What Goes Up with Sarah Ponzek and Mike Regan. Hello and welcome to What Goes Up, a Bloomberg Weekly Markets podcast. I'm Sarah Ponsek, a reporter on the Cross Asset team. And I'm Mike Regan, a senior editor at Bloomberg. This week on the show, a year ago, global markets were reeling from the COVID crisis. Now stocks are surging, meme stocks are a near daily phenomenon, and bond yields are ticking higher. On Wall Street, it almost feels like a different world. Well, our guests last joined the show in the summer to discuss the very trade that delivered a double-digit return during the 2020 crash. So now he's going to join us and he'll share how his firm's positioned to capitalize on the recovery. And of course, we will close out the episode with our tradition, the craziest thing I saw in markets this week. And if you saw something crazy, please do give us a call on the Bloomberg podcast hotline at 646-324-3490 and leave us a voicemail and maybe we'll play it on the show. You, of course, can also tweet in our general direction. Uh, we're at the handle at podcasts, our Bloomberg podcast handle. And Sarah, I got to say, for the crazy things, I've sworn off of NFTs. I'm done with the NFTs. There were, I have plenty of NFTs to offer. All and right. I did bring one non-NFT crazy thing as well. Okay. Because I know we've discussed NFTs the past couple. But come on, there were just a couple this past week that you couldn't ignore. I know, I know. But they're, I feel like they're jumping the shark now. They're, they're, they were fun <laughs> when no one had ever heard about an NFT. Now it's just get, it's getting they're everywhere. very commonplace. We're, we're minting NFT millionaires and probably billionaires soon. Yeah, I don't, I, 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 it makes my head spin, but I look forward to your crazy NFT uh, things. But before we get to that, let's welcome back our guest. He is the chief investment officer at Reminiscent Capital in Australia. His name is David Adams. David, welcome back to the show. Thanks, guys. Uh, great to be here. And uh, yeah, I guess it was nine months ago that we last caught up. So thanks for having us back on the show. It was fun last time. Right, right. Now, David, I know you made some trades that that worked out pretty well uh, during COVID. Luckily for you, uh, what goes up, we allow for victory laps. So so we will allow allow a victory lap. It, remind us about what worked for you in, in your trading strategies, what didn't work uh, during COVID. Catch us up on and, uh, you know, sort of how you handled the whole situation and kind of where things stand now as far as how you're looking at opportunities. Sure. Um, yeah. So we sort of um, we we I, I mentioned last time we we'd been lucky enough that or unlucky in some ways um, had been through four crises previously, and so there was a certain sort of playbook when you've been been they're all a little bit uh, different, but they have an underlying kind of similarity. So we sort of rolled out that playbook um, in, in Q1 of last year, and it was essentially you know bonds, and then FX, then vol, then equity downside, and then margin as people kind of have to post margin. We sort of went went through that. And, uh, and, and it, it played out much like the, the prior, prior crises had done. So we're fortunate enough to sort of um, capture that and, and avoid, avoid trouble and make money for investors in Q1. And then I think when we caught up um, was around uh, July uh, from memory. 
uh, on the show. And, and there what we were describing was uh, what we thought was going to be an opportunity possibly for the next couple of years is a handover from the developed markets um, into the, the EM market, especially Asia. So what I mean by that specifically is um, for, for, for countries like you know, China, India, uh, Japan to an extent, and, and, um, and, and one or two others in Asia, to play a big catch-up uh, to the likes of the S&P and the NASDAQ. And I was just looking at some, some notes last night, and this is an anecdote. Um, you've had China, since we last caught up, peaked up at 38.9% gain from that July level. Uh, India up at 46.6. .6. Japan, the Nikkei up at 35.6. And meanwhile, the S&P uh, put up a healthy gain, but it was only 22.8. So that's a sort of 17.5% um, you know, kind of relative catch-up that Asia is, is starting to, to do. And a lot of that actually came in the fourth quarter. So if we just take beta, you know, the beta of the market out for a second, it, you know, this is just starting to happen now. So this this sort of um, relative catch up, which would started in the fourth quarter, is beginning. I think last time on the show we described there could be as much as a sixty percent you know, relative catch up. So it's definitely not too late for investors out there. And I'll talk in a minute about kind of you know opportunities for, for this year and how we're positioning to sort of participate in that. And it's quite interesting because. Um, equity markets had a strong start, but had you piled in sort of late Jan, mid-Feb, um, you'd be sort of 18% offside with this pullback that we've had. And we've sort of described how we avoided that. Um, so that was one of the main things we were talking about as an opportunity, um, uh, that relative catch-up for Asian equities, which is starting to occur. And we'll expand on that uh, maybe a little bit later in the show. Uh, that was one thing. And then we had a bit of an anecdote that... Um, I spoke about Mr. Bunny and him tearing up Alan Greenspan's age, age, of, <laughs> age of Turbulence book. But I'm pleased to say there's been no, no books um, eaten since then. So <laughs> probably, 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 you know, uh, uh, probably tells us there's probably a little bit of smooth sailing ahead still for a while. However, um, we're seeing some stuff in our process that's very concerning, that's actually very interesting as well. And we'll talk to that a little bit later. Um, so, yeah, that just brings us up to speed. So I definitely want to get into what you said is possibly concerning, but you mentioned the pullback that we have seen, and particularly in Asian equities. I just pulled up the CSI 300. We recently saw a 14% pullback. Granted, we've seen a pullback in U.S. equities and other equities around the globe as well, uh, but more pronounced uh, in EM, in Asian equities too. We've spent a lot of time over the last couple of weeks discussing with guests this cyclical rotation that we've seen, but mostly focused on on U.S. equities, talking about uh, growth to value or, or the move that we've seen into energy and financials. Where does this rotation that we have seen from developed to emerging markets currently stand? And even considering the pullback that we have seen in recent weeks, would you say there, there is more room for a catch up and why would that be? What I'll, what I'll do here is I'll draw on, you know, what typically in my career has been a North Star and um, is, is very worthwhile paying attention to. <clears throat> I think we spoke about it last time. It was analogous back in February, March, um, but in many ways in the opposite direction. That was the bond market, the rates market. Um, and, you know, when, when she wakes up and speaks, we, we should definitely listen. And last year, I think I described some of the intricacies of you know, um, dollar block funding. We spoke about how the informational value of the front end, you know, she definitely knows what's going on. Uh, we spoke also about, you know, the type of price action whereby last year when we were going to the crisis mode, um, you know, a very large percentage of the, of the price action was happening on the offered side of futures, i.e. they were getting bought with no pullbacks. You know, that, that tells you something. Um, this time around, it's actually the opposite. Um, so, the, so the bond market has woken up and shaken her tail. 
It's not the front end, i.e. risk off and rates lower. It's the back end, uh, rates higher. And in, in some ways, I won't call it a risk on. I'll describe in a minute what I think is going on. Um, and the opposite. So the price action was um, relentless selling of bonds and fixed income and fixed income futures kind of across the board. Um, okay, that's really interesting. And and, and what's happening there? So you know, my humble belief um, is that um, the central banks have completely overcooked this. Uh, there's way too much kind of uh, stimulus um, globally. Uh, now, granted, that's probably not helping the real economy, but the financial asset reflation um, and some of the exuberant behavior, whether it's you know, GameStop or you know, other anecdotes we want to choose from. You know, for people who've been around for a while, it really is kind of um, uh, reminiscent, to, to plug the name, of, you know, sort of, uh, yeah, overcooking, yeah, overcooking of, uh, of, um, of stimulus. And I think, you know, um, I don't think if you look at um, Stanley Druckenmiller's recent interview that he gave, a fantastic interview, and he quotes some really interesting stats about the extent of um, kind of stimulus that was, that, was, that was handed out in the first three months, something along the lines of it equaled the prior three QE episodes. It's been quite phenomenal. Now, complement to the Chinese, uh, they've really matured out in terms of their approach um, for, 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 for sort of crisis management. They've been much more prudent and frugal. Um, they didn't have to do anywhere near as much kind of disbursement of um, stimulus. And um, in addition to that, they've been quite prudent on um, commenting. They've had the bravery to kind of sort of comment on some sort of speculative bubble-like behavior in their equity market. Now, they have suffered as a result. But just remember, I think I mentioned this last time, they, they're getting very, very good at managing. Um, they've got a lot of levers to manage their economy and uh, their stock market. And we saw this recently on the recent pullback. You know, they had the ability to sort of, um, we, 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 it was, we were led to believe that the national team, or well, there was some, some national sort of support for their stock market that sort of halted the decline and started to recover a bit. So I don't feel like they're but not, any, um, not until after they came out and said that assets looked overpriced. I mean, granted, they were talking about Chinese equities, but <laughs> correct. Yeah, yeah, correct. So, so, so going back on, 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 on point is um, uh, the, the bond market move that we had in February um, is a very important signal. And essentially what it's saying is the bond market saying, you know, to the central banks, you're wrong. Uh, there's a, you've gone a little bit too far. And whether it's, you know, reflationary assets through copper, um, equity prices, um, you know, they're also speaking as well. Um, so, so that's important. I, I'm also seeing some really interesting signs, um, leads I've seen in the past. You know, if you think about the G10, oddly enough, we mentioned this before, New Zealand, <clears throat> for whatever reasons, partly because it's a small open economy and juxtaposed between EM and DM um, is, is speaking as well. You know, they're, they're over there in New Zealand recently, they had um, the, the New Zealand government essentially has turned around to the central bank and said, you know, you need to take house prices into account in your mandate. You know, why is this? This is because it's very similar in the G10. Um, the policies that are being deployed uh, are helping the top 10% get richer. You know, house prices are going up. Equity prices are going up. But real folks, you know, have real jobs um, that don't necessarily have any of those things are not benefiting from that. And, you know, places like New Zealand and Australia, to an extent, are quite egalitarian. And there they've said, you know, central bank policy is not helping our, our voters, our constituents. And, and, and they pay a lot of attention to that. So what does that mean? That means in, in, in some of these G10 countries where you've had property go up, stocks go up, but people are not necessarily benefiting from that. Perversely, you could have, say, what, what, what New Zealand could be sort of um, hinting at here is um, you might need to raise rates, you know, um, to just cool down some of these asset prices. Um, that's very different from where we were just three, six months ago. 
And, you know, whilst people might say, look, that's just, that's New Zealand, it's not, not applicable here, that won't happen in the US. Let's see. <laughs> you know, I've, heard, I've been through many, many rate cycles up and down, and I'll get a lot of um, pushback on this. A lot of academics will tell me why that's not going to happen. But I wouldn't be surprised if we continue it going at this rate of commodity prices, asset prices, um, uh, property prices, that the conversation gets brought way forward as to potentially when rate hikes can happen. Now, why is that worrying? Well, in the real economy, um, you know, and in a very leveraged world that we're in now, I don't think markets will be able to take uh, rate hikes all that well. Uh, and people say that, well, no, it's reflationary. You, you can have higher stocks, you can have higher commodities, you can have higher rates because it's all, it's all in a recovery mode. Now, the first 20, 30 basis points of that in rates is true. And we saw this in the recent 100 basis point sell-off. The last 30 basis points is not, um, whereby that started to really um, puncture things like long duration assets like tech. So, I, you know, I'll, I'll round out in a minute, but what I'm saying is I think we're entering into a very kind of dangerous spiral in the later stages of, and you can see a lot of that because retail's um, participation is very high, whereby um, as we had that kind of um, nasty sell-off in bonds that started to prick things like the NASDAQ, central banks had to come in and calm down verbally and uh, initially bond markets, you could get what we're getting now, which is yields have calmed down, yields start to go back down, and you probably get equities rip higher again. And then you're back to the same problem, whereby the bond market, maybe two, three months from now, will start to go, well, hang on, <clears throat> we're back into a reflationary situation here. And I wouldn't be surprised if we make fresh, significant highs in yields, well up above 2% in US 10s, for example. And that then puts us in the precarious situation of how our assets going to be able to take that, you know, things like tech. So it's going to be a very interesting year, I think, from that perspective. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know, David, it's good to get someone on who sounds even more worried than I am about how, how all this stuff is <laughs> going to shake out. You didn't even get into NFT price inflation, which we, we won't even go there. But I'm curious how um, break-evens fit into your thinking with all this. You know, at least in the U.S., if you look at... Um, Five-year break-evens, uh, last I checked, something like 2.5%. Ten years are at something like 2.3, roughly. Um, is this sort of just an a indicator of exactly what you're talking about, that maybe the central banks have put a little too much whiskey in the punch pole, so to speak? Or is there something, you know, I'm just curious how much faith you put into the break-evens as sort of a, a fortune teller when it comes to inflation, or is there anything about market structure and sort of this exuberance and, and massive risk-taking mood that we see 
that would uh, allow them to, to send a, a false signal, perhaps? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, good question. So there's a few components to that. Um, one would be just in the very short run, you know, we're not actually seeing inflation. You know, US, you know CPI call last, you know, last uh, yeah, this week was not particularly stellar. Yeah, slightly 1. under seven uh, or something, I think. Right? Yes, yeah, and, and slightly un, un, under kind of whelmed in terms of X, X energy. So it's not turned up yet, uh, number one. Um, number two would be that, um, as we described, you know, underlying uh, within many of the economies, uh, even just the U.S., for example, despite all the hype, if you look at the U.S., um, the, the small, medium enterprises with 500 or less employees, from memory, something like 40% of the entire employment workforce, and they're not doing so well. In fact, many of them are actually going out of business or struggling. So that, that detracts a little bit from this um, uh, feared kind of wage inflation and, and inflation that people think is coming. Um, and then also, in addition to that, if you look at China, um, you know, their data is, is slowing somewhat. If you look at some of the charts of what the Chinese aggregates are doing, they're very, very much in contrast to the likes of copper and commodity. And they're you know, one, of the biggest, um, um, one of the biggest consumers of energy and, and commodities in the world, if not the biggest, um, depending which ones you look at. And so that's, that's painting a very different picture in kind of the real economies. Um, so those two things make me sort of look at the world in the following way, and that is um, there's asset price reflation, um, which is anticipation and kind of flows and, and money flooding into various markets. And then there's kind of real actual inflation. Now, will it work in the end if we kept on at this rate uh, and starts to create more jobs and gives more confidence, um, feedback into the economy, and you start to get um, in, certain, in certain pockets by all means, um, I'm sure if you look at, say, for example, restaurants when they reopen in New York and things like that, um, you get demand for waiters and labor and things like that, you probably will start to actually get some actual inflation further down, further down the road. So, the, you know, the break-evens and such are probably a relatively decent predictor, given where we are now. It's, it's, a, it's a long way off in the future, and a lot can change between now and then. So I think it's one of those that I need to think about asset price reflation, what actual inflation is doing now, what it could do further down the track. For me to sit here and think I've got a view on where it could actually be five years from now, it's not that relevant because um, uh, it, you know, what is more relevant is letting the market speak. Okay, and, and if in the, in, the, in, the, in the investable time horizon we're looking at, which is, say, for example, this year, um, what, what, what's relevant by which we can make money for investors? And it probably is as follows. You know, as you know, real rates uh, in the U.S. go up a lot, um, what 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 starts to happen then is you look at a world where, say, six months, a year ago, there's very little yield. People are having to chase the last little um, few basis points of returns, whether it's you know, crunching in high yield credit or trying to receive that last little bit of five or 10 year yields um, or being in emerging market FX um, where there's a little bit of extra carry and pickup. You know, money just chases that and has been doing for quite some time. And that, that bond market um, wake up call uh, and, and, and real rates going higher in the U.S. means that um, a lot of manage, managers out there, investors out there, start to scratch their heads and say, do I really want to be in, you know, um, some of these emerging market FX currencies where I, I get very little extra pickup for all of that additional risk? So that's the interesting bit to me is, you know, when if the market's speaking and you know, real rates are going up in the U.S., you know, where are the monkeys going to run, as it were, as an expression people used to use? And um, you start to see a little bit of a, a sign of that um, just recently with money coming out of tech, um, some EMFX getting hit, um, high yield credit getting hit. Um, I think that's probably just a, a, an early wake up call 
for what can happen sort of later in the year. Um, so if that, maybe if that's just some talk points on that. When you say real rates moving up by a lot, I mean, what exactly quantifies a lot? I mean, certainly we have moved a lot. We were at negative 1.1%. Uh, now we're at closer to negative 65, negative 70 basis points or so. But when you say a lot, I mean, what do you expect? Are you talking positive by chance? Yeah, I mean, so in the great scheme of things, the move's not been that significant. The speed of it has been. Um, so it's, it's, it's speed matters as well because it can, it, people can extrapolate and start to start to get concerned that when you carry on at that sort of rate, um, I think things will obviously um, get dislodged. So, so the speed of the moves obviously in, in February was important. Um, so further down the track, if, you know, if we go to that example of um, what, what I described, whereby after maybe some pullback in yields lower, if the reflationary story kind of gathers steam again and, and yields dislodge later in the year, uh, we get up above sort of two, two and a quarter in US tens. You know, I guess bottom to top, that'll be a move of 100, 150 basis points and starting to push positive. And, you know, positive is an important Rubicon to cross <clears throat> because <clears throat> much like we've seen in European assets when they went negative, people just are loath to, uh, you know, certain individuals are loath to pay away a negative rate. So that, that obviously starts to become relevant. Um, so I would say, you know, crossing, crossing over positive and starting to have 150 plus um, basis point moves I mean you, you don't need to be chasing that last 20 25 basis points in a very high yield um, bond structure or, or an emerging market that's maybe quite precarious Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Steeple and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Steeple's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Steeple last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. It's fun to t talk with you, David, because I know we can jump from asset class to asset class and you'll, you'll jump along with us, uh, which is nice. So I'm, I know, uh, you know, as a hedge fund manager, you must keep sort of at least one eye or half an eye on, on volatility markets uh, to some degree. I think what's been amazing to me is this continued grind higher in equities. Yeah, we had a little bit of a correction in the last month or so, but you know, continued grind higher, and yet the VIX just does not seem like it wants to go below twenty. It seems like it's found a floor at around twenty. I'm curious, you know, what you're thinking about that, and why that might be. I mean, my theories are are. Perhaps people are, are worried about some of the things you're talking about, about maybe value valuations have gotten ahead of themselves. And if rates do perk back up, uh, there could be another another dip. Also, maybe so many people got burned by selling volatility a few years ago that 
they're sort of gun shy to, to do it again. Um, how, how are you thinking about it? If you are at all, I mean, am I, am I crazy for thinking that maybe that there's still a little bit of a hangover from that, that short volatility trade that blew up a few years ago. That's, that's going to make it tough for the VIX to, to come back down below 20. Okay, sure. Um, good question. The uh, uh, U S equity vol specialists will, will be, um, you know, much more granular in their answer than myself. <clears throat> um, I'd probably defer to them. However, what I can give you from like a macro manager's kind of um, response is, is drawing on a, forget the gentleman's name, but there was a two hour podcast given by a vol specialist and his, you know, cause I was quite curious in that question myself a few months ago, about two months ago. And his response, which I'll sort of uh, repeat here was that there is still quite large portfolio hedging. Um, so to folks out there purchasing out of the money puts to portfolio hedge that's keeping aggregate vol high and the shoulder vols is kind of short dated at the money vol where, you know, things aren't moving necessarily all that much apart from um, last month. As you said, in many periods of the past couple of quarters, you know, it's a slow, grinding, sensible rally. That shoulder vol is being sold, as in you know, the, 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 the short-dated vol at the money is, you know, is, is, is not particularly expensive. Um, after after a, a recent pullback, of course, it, it spikes up and then slowly settles back down. But that was the, the gist of it, was portfolio um, um, insurance kind of hedging, keeping aggregate vol still quite high. Uh, I suspect probably if we continued in this environment, that would continue to come, sort of gently come down. But um that's that's the um, that's the reason it's higher than otherwise would be. Stand clear of the craziest things we saw in markets this week. You know exactly what time it is, Mike. All right, all right, David. I'm sure you came prepared uh, with the craziest thing you saw in markets. But let's start with Sarah. Sarah teased that she's got a, a lot to deliver this week, so let's let's get her going. So I actually believe that we have a voicemail. So I was hoping and thinking we should play that one first. Happy birthday to you. Oh, happy birthday to you. So um, I couldn't help myself. An entire choir actually called in to wish you a happy birthday, Mike. I was going to say, <laughs> the, the Vienna Boys Choir called in to, to the hotline? La- last week, Mike gave us all the gift of his nickname. So this week, it's Mike's birthday. So it happy is. birthday. Oh, thank you. I will say that, uh, and Sarah, don't bust me for repeating this joke a few times. In Never. the Regan family, we we have a tradition. If it's funny the first time, it's funny the next four or five times too. But, <laughs> but what I've been saying is, uh, you know, I share the exact birth date, uh, day and year with Johnny Knoxville. I don't know if you know who that is, Johnny Knoxville. So uh, oh, it's debatable who the bigger jackass is uh, <laughs> among us. But thank you. I appreciate it. Big one for of me. Course, Big round number. Course. I'm not happy about it, but what are you going to do, Dave? You know? <laughs> Take it in stride. <laughs> Now give us a real crazy thing, Sarah. Okay, now I'll give you now I'll give you a real one. I'll give you a real one. Uh, so I'll stay away from the NFTs first. One, this was just a, a survey that was put out by Business Insider, and they wrote it up. Thirty-seven percent of American investors in a recent survey say they've made trades based on an Elon Musk tweet. Thirty-seven <laughs> percent of all Americans seems really high to me. Is that just me? Thirty-seven percent of Americans who actually actively trade were 
I mean, to be honest, I didn't read the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, it's astounding. Either way, it's thirty-seven percent is just very, very high. It's ab- very absolutely high. astounding, especially yeah. when he's pumping stuff like Dogecoin. You know, I mean, right? I mean, honestly, I I could say I know people who, pers- on a personal basis, have have bought Doge after Elon Musk tweeted about it. So I guess I know people who are contributing to the very high share of respondents to the survey. That is, that is pretty good. That is pretty um, good, Sarah. You you came, thanks. you delivered with that one. Well, I have I have two NFT ones because right. you can't you can't ignore them. One just that Jack Dorsey selling the first tweet ever as an NFT, and there have already been bids up to two and a half million dollars. But the best one is um, on Thursday, digital artwork, yeah. an NFT sold for sixty nine million dollars. <laughs> I mean. That's- how crazy. I can't even, as the kids would say, I can't even. <laughs> David, I know you keep uh, an eye on Bitcoin and crypto. What, what do you think of all this NFT stuff? Well, I think we spoke last time, I think Bitcoin was at 8,000. I was sort of mentioning there was an angle whereby, you know, folks wanted to, you know, potentially high net worth and such, what might want to have their money, you know, in other assets like crypto and that it could do very, very well. And it sort of looks like that's happened. Yeah, you know, there's, there's also been, uh, you know, much more Another, another victory lap for you, by the way. Congratulations. Uh, well, no, I mean, you know, yeah, thanks. But no, I mean, you know, folk, folk, we, we don't do it for the fund. It was more just like we were, yeah. we were talking earlier and thing. But um, the Your investors are probably okay with that, I imagine, too, that you're, you're, not, I, you're not out there putting their money into crypto, I would guess. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's not the strategy at this stage. Um, but, but what I was going to say is that... Um, a lot more homework has been done by high net worth and superannuation funds and pension funds around the world. And it really does look like it's getting adopted as a sort of, you know, one to 3% of your portfolio. That's a huge number. Yeah. And, you know, the more you look into these things, there's some great, great um, protocols and products in there. So um, I can only see one way traffic. I, I, I would, I would suspect that within three years, um, We've got something like 3.6 billion people have phones. I'd say a third of those. I'd say within three years, um, a billion people have some sort of digital currencies on their phone. And that's up from where we are now with, I think, 66 million, million wallets. So it's just phenomenal kind of um, inflows, I think, are coming. Um, wow. so, so that's what I would say with regard to that. And, yeah, my, my sort of uh, crazy thing for the week would be, which is a combination of everything. So this is Mr. Bunny's owner, my, my, my 11-year-old daughter, Holly. <laughs> this is um, all, all of the um, monetary and fiscal and kind of um, liquidity that's out there. Um, little Holly turned around to me because I talked to her a little bit about finance. She keeps reminding me how I never bought Apple every day. Um, <laughs> and and uh, she's a big gamer. So Minecraft and Fortnite and all that sort of stuff. She spends hours on there and it hits me up on my credit card for skins and swords and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> And, um, you know, she, she, she's, she's, cause I've talked to her a little bit about crypto and stuff. And the punchline was, she said, dad, you should buy this coin engine, E N J I N engine. I said, why is that? I said, well, you can smelt down your sword and then move it to a new game when you decide you want to be in a new game and, and use that credit in a new game. And, um, interestingly enough, this is a $255 billion business gaming, wow. you know, worldwide, if not, if not more, Japan's just approved this coin. And so Holly takes the prize. Uh, her her uh, trade idea investment, if you will, is up something like, geez, I think it's well over two thousand percent in about six weeks. So. Well, Eleven years old and already uh, already yeah. um, two thousand percent in six weeks. Yeah. She's talented. That is so we're, amazing. You know, we're pretty dull in comparison to what the the young kids are doing, and it's. <laughs> yeah. 
That's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. Well, I'm going back to old school commodity markets for mine. And and this one is uh, courtesy of our uh, chief crazy things correspondent, Vildana Hyrick, who's so she's earning her keep again uh, with the crazy thing. She pointed out this story, uh, Bloomberg story by Andy Hoffman. Uh, there's a commodities trader called Mercuria Energy Group, and they bought $36 million worth of copper from a counterparty in Turkey. One problem is when the copper arrived for delivery, um, it turned out it was a bunch of painted rocks, a bunch of rocks painted copper color. Uh, and it's this, what a big, nightmare. <laughs> this big scandal. 13 people apprehended by uh, authorities in Turkey over this. And to give you an old man movie reference, Sarah, uh, Midnight Express uh, from back in my day about a Turkish prison. Not the prison you want to be uh, in. Uh, trust <laughs> trust me on that. Um, but I also wonder if it, it turns out they were paving stones that someone painted a copper color uh, and, and somehow switched them out in 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 transit between uh, one party to the counterparty. So, uh, David, I'm wondering if someone's probably awaiting a delivery of paving stones. Maybe your neighbor whose house is being that's under right. construction that's right. awaiting a delivery of paving actually, stones and going to be Your truck just turned up with Turkish label on it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. You figured it out. David's got construction going on next door, and we managed to squeeze this whole thing in before the before the jackhammers and whatnot started uh, making noise. So I'd call that a success. I would agree, but we we still have to get David's crazy things, though. He did. We oh, that was, that was my sword. engine coin. Oh, yeah. Wow, I was so, I was so into honestly, <laughs> I was so into the NFT conversation. I was like, oh, we're just having a real real conversation You're here busy about buying all some. of this. Busy yeah, buying I, some. I was actually I pulled out my phone. And I started buying some, uh, courtesy of your daughter. So that's, that's the truth of it all. Uh, but no, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm so glad that we were able to have you on the show again. Uh, David Adams, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks very much for having us. Thanks, David. That was great. What Goes Up will be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal website and app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so more listeners can find us. And you can find us on Twitter. Follow me at, at Sarah Ponsek. Mike is at Reganonymous. And you can also follow Bloomberg Podcasts at Podcasts. Also, thank you to Charlie Pellet of Bloomberg Radio and the voice of the New York City subway system. What Goes Up is produced by Topher Forges. The head of Bloomberg Podcast is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.